but it is this almost like obsessive need to know the sexual history of the girl you're with and her past mm. and not just know it, but to know details. Mm. It would, it would be like this movie theater in my brain where I'd have a thought about, Oh my God. And there'd be a question like, I wonder if she did this with this person. Mm. And then I would ask the question and then I would need to know details. And so I'm badgering now trying to get details. And then when I'd get the details, I wouldn't feel any better. Of course I would be upset now. And then I'd be mad at myself for badgering. And for the longest time, I was just like, I'm fucking broken. Mm. Like, there is something wrong with me. Turns out there is actually an OCD disorder called retroactive jealousy OCD. Hey, everyone. I'm Kara. And I'm Caleb. And welcome to the Kara and Caleb show. When it comes to life, we believe it is so important to ask the right questions, but also to learn how to live in the tension and the uncertainty of those questions. Yes. When we learn to live in the tension of unanswered questions, we become more resilient, more radiant, and more human. On this podcast, we explore the questions that have shaped and defined the lives of our guests. And then we dive deep into the beauty and the transformational process that occurs as we wait for answers that may or may not come as we expected. So join us as we explore what's possible when we are able to rest in the tension and live the questions of our lives right now. I've got the heart of a What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Kara and Caleb. And you all are so, so lucky today because we have an amazing guest with us. Actually, we don't. It's just us. It's just us today. <laughs> you guys are getting down and dirty with just Caleb with and just I. just us. We took a week off last week. Uh, we're kind of pivoting, kind of looking back over the first uh, handful of episodes and trying to see kind of the direction that we want to go with the podcast. But we're back and we're actually really excited about today's episode because what we want to do really is just kind of invite you in um, to us as a couple right now, where we're at as an engaged couple, and also individually what kind of hurdles or obstacles we've had to navigate or jump over um, in past relationships that I think really kind of helped us do the work or were catalysts in our lives to do the work that I really believe, truly believe that was necessary for Kara and I to find each other and to really have a very, and I'm not saying this just because I'm in it, uh, and this doesn't mean that we don't go through our own thing, but a very special relationship. Mm -hmm. I really do feel like with Kara, um, I found my person. Like there's not a, <laughs> a moment or any sliver of hesitation in my heart when mm -hmm. I ask myself are you my person like it's a deep deep resounding yes and yeah. a deep knowing right yeah and so yeah so I think we just wanted to invite um invite you into the process I was having a conversation with a friend uh the other day or an acquaintance and he is going through something in a relationship that I deeply resonated with and he asked me a question and he said you know do you and Kara experience this and I realized that uh, I don't really and you can attest to this because you know me I've opened up my heart to you obviously more than I've ever opened up to anybody right but I I'm not actually very vulnerable mm. right I do my own inner like and when I'm doing the work when I'm leaning in uh, when I'm spending time I'm mm -hmm. vulnerable right you're selectively vulnerable well I think there is wisdom to opening up right I don't want to open up to anyone and everyone yeah right but a lot of people it's easy a lot of people on Instagram I had this moment a few months back when uh 
on Instagram, people are like, oh my God, you're so vulnerable. You share your story. But sharing my story as I look back at my life is easy because I've owned those stories. Mm-hmm. I've owned the, that pain and I've worked through it. So that's easy to allow you to see who I used to be, right? That doesn't bother me. But now, like as I'm inviting you into my life now, with my current struggles, with what I'm currently going through. Um, I just haven't really done that well. Not that I try to avoid it necessarily, although I do. I haven't done that well. And when I was having this conversation with this guy, he asked me a question and I immediately felt my guard go up like, mm, like I don't want you to, I don't want to invite you in to this space in my life, mm. right? But it was necessary because I wanted to be able to better relate to him so he had a better understanding of and could identify really what he was going through in life, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, I think this would be a great opportunity to share, and maybe you can go first. Yeah. Uh, you know, the things that you've worked through in your life um, or the bigger challenges that you've had to navigate individually or inside of relationships that on your journey to us. Yeah, I think to reiterate what you said, I think both Caleb and I love creating safe spaces, and a huge part of that is us being willing and... Uh, yeah, just willing to let all of you into our personal lives. And so we wanted to do a podcast like this because, um, yeah, we just wanted to invite you into some spaces that one we've worked through or are working through. And we want you to know us a little bit better. If you're going to be listening to us every week, we want you as a part of our story and as a part of our lives. So we're just going to each share like two separate things that um, Which is vulnerable for, I've never shared this publicly. <laughs> I love that about you. I'm like an open haven't. book. I think yeah. you and I balance each other in that way. Cause I'm like, let me tell you about my heart. <laughs> but I, yeah, I think we will both share like two things that have come up for us in the context of relationships, yeah. maybe prior and then maybe some currently. Um, but yeah, I can go first. Okay. The first one that I came up with, um, I've got two. I'm trying to decide what I want to go with first. I'm going to go with the getting really clear on what I wanted journey. So the backstory is that um, Caleb has heard me say this a thousand times, but I thought I was going to get married later in life, like 25 and thought 25 was quite late. And I met Caleb at age 34 and I, I really did have a journey around my singleness. And I don't know if um, any of you listening are in that or have had that, but when you have an expectation of your life looking a certain way and then it doesn't look like that, there's a lot of a, there's a, a full process that has to happen around that. So some of that is grieving and some of that is just reworking expectations and wondering why those expectations were there in the first place. And as I was going through my journey of singleness, I kept ending up in relationships that um, that felt like the men weren't ready to choose me. I, I feel like I dated mostly good men. There's a couple where I'm like, oof, could have <laughs> skipped that one. But for the most part, I was, I was attracting good human beings. Like I was in functional, healthy relationships. Um, but none of the men that I was dating were willing to commit to me or it felt like they just weren't ready to choose me. And someone once said to me, um, you attract what you are. And there's some truth in that. There's probably a lack of truth in it too. But I started to reflect on that and I was like, well, what am I? Like, what, what am I? If, if I keep choosing people that won't choose me and what I realized is that I wasn't clear about what I wanted. And so I kept attracting people who weren't clear on what they wanted. So it made sense that the people I was dating weren't really ready to commit to me 
were willing to do that because I wasn't there either. And I'm a seven on the Enneagram and I joke all the time that I have Froyo complex. And what I mean by that is I walk into Yogurtland. Which you really do. I really do. And there are 30 flavors at Yogurtland. And I guarantee I will always choose cheesecake and cookies and cream. And I will top it with cheesecake bites and whipped cream and probably some graham crackers. But no matter what, Caleb, no matter what, when I walk into Yogurtland, I I have to get the stack of sample cups and I have to try every single flavor because there's this thing in me that says, what if today I want strawberry? I never want strawberry. I don't even like strawberry. But for some reason, it's this, this fear mechanism in me that says, well, what if I choose wrong? Like, what if I don't get the thing that I really want? And I know what I want walking in. But I feel like even in relationships, that was a big journey that I had to self-reflect on and work through is getting super clear about exactly what I wanted. And last year, probably six months before I met Caleb, I, I was with a girlfriend, Amy, and she said, before I met my husband, I sat down and I wrote a list of the 30 things I want in a husband. And and then I met JC and he had all of them except for one. And I was like, that's amazing. So I started over those months doing some writing around this. And again, not a checklist like he has to be six foot three mm-hmm. and be a former NFL player. <laughs> Those were things that never would have made the list, but more things about the character of the person that I want to end up up with and declaring in my words and into the universe, the very, very things that my heart longs for. And I did that. And, um, and I really worked to get clear about what I wanted and, I feel like in that process, um, I don't know. I think there was an energy in me that became very uh, able to say no to things that weren't a hell yes. So uh, probably two months before I, I, I dated you, I went on a couple dates with this guy. And I remember probably the second date, I was like, "This he, he's great but he's not a hell yes. Like there's not a resounding yes to this. So in my mind, what I decided is getting clear on what I wanted meant that I said no immediately if it was not an absolutely yes. Again, this is my story. People have totally different journeys of meeting their soulmate and their person and choosing that. But for me, that was my journey of internally becoming very clear on what I wanted setting up practices around that and learning to choose right. And I think when I met you, I, it was a hell yes on day one, Mm -hmm. which was remarkable to me. I had never had that before. I think we both very quickly were like, yep, this is it. Yeah. But I think it was because of the work of getting clear. That's awesome. Was it hard for you or at one point would you be like, going on a date with somebody and it's not a hell yes, but you would hold on. Oh, absolutely. Make, in past, you, it's almost like every date was trying to convince you that it was right. Yeah. And or it could work. And another thing is that I would, this is another thing I do want to say with the getting clear is I would consult all of my girlfriends <laughs> immediately. I would go on a date and then I would process it with eight girlfriends and I would be like, what do you think about him? What do you think? And I was externally looking for validation mm-hmm. on something instead of internally connecting on what was true. And that was a remarkable difference in meeting you was that I met you and internally so quickly I knew, and I didn't share with anyone probably for the first couple of weeks of us being together. 
I didn't process it with anyone. I didn't look for outside feedback because my internal knowing was so deep and so strong that I didn't need the outside validation. And looking in hindsight on all of those past relationships, I can clearly see like, oh, these these were not right because I had to externally look for validation to make them okay in my mind. Makes sense. Yeah. That's really good. Um, Okay, I'm going to go. Great. Yeah. It's going to be rapid fire. Rapid fire. But my biggest thing that I probably have had to work through in with you, and I still do it today, I I kind of demonstrate it in healthier ways, but it's still there. And that is very much my anxious attachment style. Mm-hmm. Tell us more. Right. And I've talked about this before, but I'm, this is not a podcast about going into attachment styles. You could dive so deep into this. And just so that you understand, um, to give you a little bit more context, if you're not familiar with attachment styles, attachment styles are essentially derived um, uh, from your childhood based on who your primary caretaker was. And there's anxious attachment, there's avoidant uh, attachment style, and then there's a lot of different attachment styles, but essentially anxious and avoidant and you have secure right Mm -hmm. and what's crazy about this is you know that meme that went around for a long time it's it's true it's like we're deeply wounded inside the context of a relationship but we're also healed Mm -hmm. inside the context of a relationship and so we attract the opposite (laughs) so if i'm very anxious i will attract an avoidant into my life because this relationship is designed in and of itself to help me heal right so when I'm feeling anxious, I want to move close and get close, but the avoidant person's like, get the hell away from me. I'm moving away. And now that's going to require me to do the work of learning how to self-soothe so that I, and hopefully my partner is also moving closer to a secure attachment where we can just hold space, be there for one another, listen and respond accordingly. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I, was the most anxious attached person. <laughs> and I still, I think it still rears its head. I've done so much work with this. You know, I'll, I'll give you examples of what it used to look like. But with you, I still say it all the time, right? Like, what's wrong? What's mm-hmm. wrong? What's wrong? Yeah. What's wrong? That's not me caring for you necessarily. Like, hey, I just want to make sure you're okay. Mm-hmm. That's me feeling anxious and trying to figure out or trying to basically uh, uh I don't know how to say that, but I'm trying to get ahead of the mm. ball dropping mm. because you're anticipating, I'm anticipating yeah. that something is wrong. I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling mm-hmm. triggered. So I need you to tell me what's going on in your life so that I am not about to have the ball dropped on me. Right. Mm. And so it's constantly maybe like worrying that you're going to leave. Right. Um, or, you know, I'll question whether you love me as much as I love you or, um, I feel like you did ask in the beginning, oh, like, yeah. are you going to break up with me? I would. That's yeah. like, are you going to break up with me? Or um, are you, you promise we you love me? Even Do you really fight. love me? <laughs> yeah, we weren't even in a fight. Yeah. But it's, a, it's this constant need for reassurance. Mm. And like I said, the anxious or the attachment styles go so deep. Um, and so there's so much out there. Mm. And two books that I would uh, recommend right off the bat are uh, Attached and Codependent No More. Mm. Those two books are amazing resources to help you work through your own attachment style. Um, Because attachment styles, while it works directly uh, inside of a relationship, it's also going to affect every other dynamic of your life. Mm. And so it's so important to understand your attachment style um, and how to work closer and more towards a secure attachment style. And so it's funny because I had one of my ex, she asked, you know, like, why are you constantly picking a fight with me? Mm. And that was a question that I heard (laughs) 
in every single relationship that I've ever been in. I'm like, I'm not picking a fight with you. But it it was true because I, when I would feel anxious that you were going to leave or that you weren't going to choose me or that you didn't love me or whatever it might be, I would deliberately pick a fight with you mm. so that we could resolve the fight and so that you could move closer to me so that I could feel more secure. Mm. And that was a pattern that I would demonstrate and create over and over and over again. And so um, definitely working through my anxious attachment style was, and still working through it, uh, is a has been a major process for me, a big challenge, but a great opportunity for me to heal and to learn how to self-soothe and to learn how to uh, self really soothe myself when I'm feeling triggered or activate activated, right? How did you... How did you come to recognize like, oh, I'm anxiously attached? Well, I think that just comes from wisdom. That was like, you can't, um, you know, actively work through something if you don't know what you're working through. Right. Right. And so it's just building the awareness around what am I actually coming up against? So right did now. you get curious then and say like, That's wow. That's the first step to healing all across the board yeah. is get incredibly curious about what you're doing. And I would literally spend, it would be 1 a.m. in the morning, I'd be on Google and be like, why do I respond this way when my girlfriend does this? (laughs) And then you'd go down this rabbit trail and be like, oh, I'm anxiously attached. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of, it brings a sense of relief. And you're like, oh, I'm not broken. This is just what I'm going through right now. This is what's coming up in my heart right now. Yeah, I think what you just said is probably a a key to everything, like the curiosity around the issue and just really looking at it and saying, huh, interesting. I'm responding that way. I wonder why. And it sounds so elementary, but I think for all of us, we, we get wrapped up in patterns, especially in relationships. And it's not, it's, it's harder when you're in it to, to slow down and say like, hmm, I wonder why I do that. Yeah. And I think a, a big thing that I was never very good at was um, communicating my needs mm. and like trying to communicate uh, <laughs> what I was actually feeling mm. because it would take time for me like, oh, I'm feeling very anxiously attached right now. I'm about to start a fight so that you move closer to me. And then instead of being like, hey, listen. This is how I feel. So I just want to, I want to open this dialogue up with you yeah. Um, and be like, this is what I'm feeling right now. And anxious attached, it's like, this would literally, you know, my, it would be like my girlfriend at the time would hang up the phone and say she's going to bed. But then, you know, I said goodnight via text message after we just hung up with the damn phone mm. and she didn't respond goodnight. <laughs> and that would send me down the deep end of yeah. like, oh my God, she doesn't love me as much as I love her. Oh my God, what's going to happen? And now I'm this. going to respond with like, hey, are you there? Like, is everything okay? I might call back. I might wow. wake her up, right? And that's just like a very small example. Imagine if she was going out with some girlfriends drinking at the bar, yeah, right? Where that would and just- her phone is just blowing up. Her phone would be blowing up. And if I don't hear from her, mm-hmm. you know, X amount of times within an hour, I'm going to be- going off the deep end right and the problem is is like now as a man or as a woman too if you're anxious like that you get a label Mm -hmm. right you're like you're crazy you need to fucking calm down or Mm -hmm. whatever it might be and that is true right but all around you have to understand that no i'm not crazy i'm just anxiously attached Mm -hmm. and so we need to create a system we need to create and this is my problem Mm -hmm. or my challenge this is what i'm going through and I need to take responsibility for that. Mm-hmm. But little Caleb is throwing a temper tantrum right now. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to self-soothe little Caleb right now. And so I need to create a space or a system to help 
better communicate what I'm going through Mm -hmm. as I continually on the other side am progressively working with a coach or with a therapist or doing work to learn how to self-soothe that. And so, yeah, that was definitely a journey where it was like, I'm so sorry Mm. um, that I created so much chaos in our lives (laughs) because I did not know that I was anxiously attached. Yeah. Um, But then now being able to recognize it and work through it um, and really get a hold of it and really learning how to soothe myself, self-soothe, um, and, and, and soothe, like, you know, uh, together, right? Mm-hmm. Like we do it. I say to you like, Hey, I'm just feeling this way. Mm-hmm. Like, um, can I talk to you about this mm-hmm. or whatever it might be? And then we just have a constructive conversation around it, but it doesn't neglect that I still have work to do. Yeah. And you used to say that at the beginning of the relationship, like, well, that's your that's, that's, yours your, that's yours to own. I'm like, I am owning it. Yeah. I'm going to do the work. That's who I am. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I still want to have the safe space to talk about how I feel. Yeah. And I'm telling you, I'll be the first to admit it's so illogical. It doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And I totally understand that it sounds crazy, but it doesn't negate what I'm going through. Mm. Yeah. I think what's so interesting about the anxious and uh, avoidant attachment styles is that I think a lot of times, especially as women, we want to fix things. And men too, I'm speaking as a woman from a woman's perspective. But I think in meeting you, if I had met you earlier and hadn't have done the work to know that it wasn't my uh, issue to fix. It would have been red flags. It would have been red flags. But I do think there's something really um, amazing about being in a relationship where you can own exactly what you feel. Yeah. And know confidently that your partner can hold that without the need to change you. Um, obviously, I didn't want you to stay in anxious attachment, but I wasn't about to try to fix you in any no. way. And um, I think it's important to realize like, okay, so whether you're the, the male or the female in the relationship and being like, okay, my partner is demonstrating X, Y, and Z, clearly that is part of their attachment style and it is unhealthy. Mm-hmm. I see that and recognize it for what it is, but now I'm going to give this person the space and they get to choose how they're going to respond. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. then that's going to demonstrate or illustrate like, is this person worth committing to? Cause mm-hmm. are they committed to themselves? Yeah. You know. And again, we talked about this earlier, but this idea of invitation, like you get to invite me into what you're feeling, not throw it at me and splatter it all mm-hmm. over me. Right. So you get to use language like I'm really feeling an ownership language or yeah. I'm really having a process around this. This is what's coming up for me. <clears throat> and using that kind of language always just creates a space where there doesn't need to be reaction and defense yeah. when an issue does come up. I'm thinking about that time that we went to uh trace's show oh yeah it was like one of our first it was definitely my first time like getting drunk in front of you (laughs) right but i kara and i'll give you a little bit more context it was like our our probably first big fight yeah um it wasn't massive but it was definitely our first (laughs) fight it was pretty big (laughs) you got mad um but we went out to a concert a a good friend of ours she's a musician out here in la and we went to the concert and kara has so many guy friends and when i was friends in general friends in general definitely but also guy friends and at first, I'm just like, who are these guys? Like, I don't know any of mm. these guys, right? Uh, I don't know if they're gay or if they're straight, if they're married or if they're single, if they're a past boyfriend or past lovers. So I'm just kind of like, okay, that's automatically triggering and setting something off inside yeah. of me. Yeah. Where you are very friendly, and I love this about you, obviously. Like, you make people feel known. You make people feel seen and loved. And we've talked about this since mm. then in a lot of ways, but I express my... Uh, 
fear mm. of being like, who are all these men that you're hugging and kissing on the cheek and blah, 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 so on and so forth or whatever yeah. it might be. Um, but I did it at this time, like communicate that with you. And then it all came out and then I would just badger you. Yeah. Remember I was just yeah. sitting on that couch outside <laughs> yeah. on the patio, just badger. Like, oh, who are these people? Fun. What is going on? Right. Yeah. And you're like, you better take your ass to bed right now. Yeah. Right? And I, I was like, really oh my did God. lay down the law. But I remember <laughs> in the moment I was like, oh my God six-year-old Caleb is really mm. having a pain, like an anxiety yeah. attack right now. Yeah. And I was just like, okay, I got to go to bed. And I remember the next morning being like, okay, enough is enough. Yeah. Like that I see that for what it was. And it was la the last time I would honestly say that it's really reared its head in this relationship Yeah. where we've been able to create a, a constructive dialogue mm -hmm. of any time that whatever we're feeling individually, we can bring it in a safe way into this relationship and have a constructive conversation. Yeah. And I think like, I think because I knew you and I respected you and I, I just, I trusted you so much that I, I could see even in that moment, this is fear. Yeah, But like, no, you even asked like, what's this really about? Yeah. What and is I was this actually? Like, are you going to choose me or yeah. are you going to like stay with me? Like, or am mm -hmm. I going to lose you? Mm -hmm. like, Cause that's it does what it was come down really to insecurity, about. right? Yeah. Like it comes down to this fear of, well, She'll fall in love with someone else and walk away or whatever yeah. it might be, like the fear of abandonment. So good. So to your second one. Oh, this is my rapid fire number two? Yes. Okay, great. So uh, the second one for me is um, I want to phrase this like uh, waiting purposefully. <laughs> um, and it sounds so cheesy, but truthfully waiting, waiting for my person with intention and integrity and doing the work. Um, and when I say doing the work, I mean like my internal work as I was a single person. So for me, a little bit of my backstory is that I had years and years of self-destruction and self-hatred in my twenties. And I, I dated people during that time and I, I, they were really not invited into yeah. a lot of that self-hatred and just years of an eating disorder and like overcoming, thoughts about my identity and, and whatnot. And, um, I think probably when I was like 28 or so, I, I remember having this conscious thought of like, I want to be the healthiest possible human being that I can be when I do meet my person. And I expect him along this journey to be doing the same thing. My hope is that he's doing the same thing. And so I got very intentional about my self-work. I did so much therapy so much inner work, so much processing, so much blah, 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 because I knew, um, I knew that I wanted to attract a person who was on the same page that I was in terms of chasing after like health, internal holistic health as a human being. Um, and I think it, what's so fun about meeting you, Caleb, I, like that was some of our first conversations in Kentucky was all about yes. the inner world and about the inner work. And I think that's part of why we do feel such a deep soul connection is that we've, we've spent years and years fighting for the health of our souls individually so that when our paths did align, um, they were ready for each other. So when I say waiting purposefully, um, I mean, being super intentional with the kind of human that you want to be and mm. carving out practices that really model that and then create that in you. So I, you know, some of that for me looked like, um, like writing every morning and 
and getting onto paper the kind of woman that I wanted to become. Some of it looked like doing retreats and things that would feed my soul and make me a healthier human. Um, and, and in that whole process, I think what came up, the big question that came up in the waiting purposefully is, well, the, the backstory of, the, not the backstory, the tangent of this is that there were so many times where I did not have faith that I was ever going to meet someone. Yeah. There were so many times where I, where I would like sit in my loft and literally binge on popcorn and wine, crying over my singleness because I just didn't have this faith that this person... You still binge on popcorn and wine. I still do that. <laughs> I still do that. That is a habit that will die hard. Um, but I didn't, it was almost like day to day, I really believed that I would meet my person and then I would hit these like bouts of panic and fear and coping with food and wine has always been a go-to for me. So um, I, I say that because I think at the core of why I needed to cope is that I didn't believe that the universe or that God was for me. I thought I was left out of some divine plan or I thought I was, I had missed it or I thought I had the responsibility to make it happen. And when I was 30, uh, gosh, 32, maybe it doesn't really matter, but I, I had someone sit me down and be like, there's nothing you can do to make this happen. Everything happens in the right time. And the only thing you can do is focus on you. And it sounded so cliche. And I remember being angry about that. And, and then the, the year that I did meet you, um, people would say things like, you're going to meet him when you're least expecting it. And I would get so flipping angry because I'm like, I'm always damn expecting it. I'm walking into Starbucks thinking like, oh, is my person here? But truthfully, I met you at a time when I had no expectation that men were even going to be on the trip. Like I thought it was like a girl's writing trip. And then there you were. Um, but I think I say all of that to say that there is there is so much work you can do regardless of your age, regardless of, yeah. of where you're at in your journey. And even if you're not single, but there is so much internal work you can do um, that really prepares you for what's coming next. So you're doing the internal work to attract the right person. You're doing the internal work to attract the right job. You're doing the internal work to attract the right things in your life because everything that we attract on the external world comes from the internal belief systems that we already have. And so I had to do a lot of work to really believe that I was worth a good person yeah. and I was worth like, uh, yeah, finding my soulmate. And I had to do work around believing that God was so good that he didn't leave me out of the divine plan of soulmates. And, um, yeah, so a lot of internal work, but it, it was waiting with purpose. Yeah, that's really good. Um, do I get to go now? Yeah, definitely. You don't have I'm any questions. Wrap this up. <laughs> no, you covered it all. No, I just, I think the only last thing I would say is that, especially as a woman, the number one journey that we can do is learning how to belong to ourselves. And once I learned how to belong to me, I made space for you to come in. I would agree. Yeah. I'm thankful that you did that too. Yeah. <laughs> All right, baby, you're up. Okay. So I've actually, I've like sat down and have written out a couple of blogs. I remember I wrote a letter. Who was the guy on The Bachelor? I don't know. Oh gosh. I know. Last exactly season with Hannah about. and he was a real big douchebag. He was the Christian one from the like Christian, Florida or something. No, from Alabama. Alabama. Well, anyways, Luke, no, no, I don't remember who it was, but he was just this complete douchebag. It's like, you are a prick. You need to be slapped. 
and he's like got all the right language that on the outside would make him look like God's gift to humanity. Mm. And I remember when Hannah, I think had sex in one of the honeymoon suites and he like badgered her Mm. and was like needing to know the details on national television. That was a very dramatic scene, a very dramatic scene. Uh And I remember like laying in my bed, (laughs) this is embarrassing. I was seeing all the time laying in my bed, watching this go down (laughs) and I like shot up in my bed and I was like, Oh my gosh, I know what you're going through. And I sat down and I actually got up out of bed and I wrote an open letter to him. I mm. never published it, but I opened this open or wrote this open letter to him because there is something that has been a reoccurring theme in all of my relationships um, from college on and that reoccurring theme. And I've never actually spoken about this publicly. And I've been wanting to actually talk about this because I can't help but to think that I'm the, I'm not the, I, I'm not the only one going through it, male or female. Mm. I don't think it's gender specific. It was Luke, by the way, Luke P. Luke P. Yeah. I don't think it's gender specific, but I only know guys that have gone through this. Um, but it is this almost like obsessive need to know the sexual history of the girl you're with in her past Mm. and not just know it, but to know details. Mm. And it's not from a place of comparison. I need to like compare myself to your past or the people who you've been with in the past. It's not about comparison. It was just like every relationship I've been in, it would, it would be like this movie theater in my brain where I'd have a thought about, Oh my God. And there'd be a question like, I wonder if she did this with this person. Mm. And then I would ask the question and then I would need to know details and it would be uncomfortable because I was so full of anxiety and anxious. And so clearly the person sitting on the other side of this conversation did not feel safe. Mm. Right. And so I'm badgering now trying to get details. And then when I'd get the details, I wouldn't feel any better. Of course I'd be upset now. And then I'd be mad at myself for badgering. Um, and for the longest time I was just like, I'm fucking broken. Mm -hmm. Like there is something wrong with me. And I remember doing uh, enough Google searching, trying to figure out what the hell I'm actually going through. And turns out there is actually an OCD disorder called retroactive jealousy OCD. Interesting. And I remember when I was in Colorado and Denver, actually my aunt uncle's house, when I first found this, uh, this, uh, article and I was like oh my gosh a wave of peace like washed over me Mm. Uh, because I had just gotten in a fight with the girl that I was dating at that time trying to figure out like something about her past Um, and at that point I was like oh my god I understand what I'm going through now like I clearly understand it and Mm. I can pinpoint it and I can do the work around it now and so this retroactive OCD jealousy really is just an unhealthy interest in your partner's sexual or romantic past and you'll ask the questions and you'll badger and you'll um be very obtrusive and you want to know, but you'll also go the great lengths of snooping, Mm. reading through anything and everything, uh, hiding things, trying to get away with like trying to find uh, the deepest and darkest journal. Like you're going to do anything you can to satisfy this obtrusive thought that's on a automatic replay. Like I'm, it's literally pictures of worst case scenarios Mm playing over in my head over and over and over again and now i need to know right and so it's like that you have this obsessive thought like oh my god i wonder if she did this with this person and then that would create massive levels of anxiety right 
doesn't help that you're anxiously attached to Caleb, but then you'd have this compulsive behavior and this compulsive behavior would be like badgering, asking questions or snooping or getting angry, starting a fight, whatever it might be. I can imagine most of the women were not okay with that. No, it would start the biggest, biggest, biggest fights. Yeah. And you'd feel like an asshole, but I literally felt like I couldn't handle or help it. Mm. I felt out of control. Mm-hmm. Like I need to know. Right. And they're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Right. And then you can spin it in so many ways where it's just like, I just love you, babe. Like you can spin it in so many. I'm just trying to better understand. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's this incessant need to know it's disgusting. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that in a bad way, especially if you're somebody listening to this and experiencing it, it it really is disgusting, but you'd have this compulsive behavior that would be, it goes from like this obsessive thought to anxiety, to compulsive behavior, to temporary relief where then it's like, okay, we can resolve it. We can apologize. We can come closer to each other. Mm. I can feel secure. I can feel loved, but then it would happen again. Mm-hmm. Right. And I definitely, that was monumental in past relationships in terms of an obstacle that I've had to work through. And, and truthfully, I don't know if it has to do with shame around my sexuality, afraid of abandonment at the deepest issue, uh, the deepest layers of me, I have not actually pinpointed it, but what I have learned how to do is I've learned in that moment to respond differently. Mm. I know if I respond this way, where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. I know the outcome. So let's respond differently and let's learn how to live in the not knowing. Mm-hmm. And that has been one hell of a journey of learning how to live in not knowing how that actually played out yeah. and just respect, honor. It is what it is. And the hard part is, I, and you can attest to this, right? Like I've had a ridiculous sexual past, mm-hmm. right? And now it's not that I'm judging you for your sexual past and when I was going through this, but it was like this need to know. And I'm just in there thinking like, you have every right to be mad at me for my sexual past. And I'm over here badgering you about yours. Yeah. And that's when I knew that it wasn't about like comparison or about like our sexual past. There was something deeper happening mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. There is really something deeper happening here. And so it was just this ability to finally recognize and name and label it. You know, my mentor back or my, my spiritual father, my mentor, my therapist back in Canada, he was like, when you can name it, you can, yeah. claim, um, you can uh, tame it. Mm. So basically when you can finally name it, you can tame it. You yeah. can work through it. Yeah, it's the awareness. The awareness mm-hmm. around it. And then it was just this ongoing practice of how in the moment I'm feeling it. How do I respond differently? Yeah. It reared its head a couple of times at the beginning of our relationship. Yeah, we had a pretty massive fight. Yeah, and Oklahoma that. coming home from Oklahoma City back to Dallas, visiting your, your family. Mm-hmm. Um, in a chilly. It, it would just be like, it would just, in a rainstorm. It True. would just be, you know, driving down the road and then this thought would drop into my head and it's yeah. like, I need to know. I need to know details. I want to know situation. I want to know time frames. I want to know everything. Yeah. And it does nothing for me, but I'm trying to find something. Mm. I'm literally trying to find something that, temporarily re- relieves the the spinning thought the spinning almost. thought that's yeah. on repeat mm-hmm. in the most and it's not just a, it's a visual image yeah it's oh, a it's graphic terrible. it's literally a graphic and so it's interesting because i feel um i feel no identification with that at all and i i am really curious if it is more gender specific um but i i think it's something that to reiterate what you said it really doesn't it doesn't matter the type of sexual past or the amount of sexual past, it, it just is no. simply 
needing to understand needing to know afraid of fear of abandonment a fear of losing yeah and i was never i feel like i had no hesitation or shame or fear of sharing any of my past with you but i think what came up for you was again the details of wanting to know certain things and then me feeling like oh my gosh you're judging me yeah. when i should be judging <laughs> like totally. if it is a comparison i yeah. should be judging you and it was interesting what came up for me was um, yeah, like, like, oh my gosh, should I be ashamed about no, my sexual yeah. past and having to even work through that where I'm like, I don't actually have to take on your, I feel like in a relationship that is a complicated thing because the, I, my tendency is to take on yeah. what you are projecting and you are projecting like shame and anxiety. And so then internally my response, yeah, it was like, oh, did I, sh- and I think that's maybe part of the healing journey is, is th- that's not mine to own. Yeah. Like that really is Definitely yours. Not. And yeah. And it took me growing and healing and maturing to realize, okay, this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. And then really my only, and it might not be that there's probably more resources out there available. Um, it's crazy though. Cause I can't help but I, there's gotta be other people that go through this and this isn't a topic or a subject that I've never ever come across on an Instagram post. Right, right. You know, like I deal with retroactive OCD jealousy where I have these compulsive thoughts about the history, the sexual history of my girlfriend mm. where I need to know details about her sexual past to help tame the anxiety that I feel. And so I badger, I ask a hundred questions and then I'll get angry at it. And then at the end of the day, it creates a massive argument and Potentially the girlfriend, like my fiance, walks away feeling shamed mm-hmm. for her decisions when I'm the one that should be getting judged. Mm-hmm. It was all just a really fucked up situation. Yeah. Uh, but the only way I've learned how to work through it is honestly learning how to catch it in the moment, mm-hmm. become aware of it, observe it, and respond differently. Yeah. And that is one hell of a process. Yeah. <laughs> learning how to respond differently in the moment when your body, yeah, your body's is reacting. just screaming. You need to know. Mm. And you're like, no, it's mm. li- it's literally like the, the picture of like the two, the angel and devil on your shoulder. Ugh, I'm sorry uh, you go through that, baby. No, I don't really deal with it anymore. Yeah. Since we've had that fight at the beginning of a relationship, I've ne- I haven't dealt with it. Yeah. It honestly has not come up. Good. It maybe has come up a couple of times, but I was just now able to respond differently. And the more that you do it, you like teach yourself how to respond now. Mm. Like, no, it's not denial. It's just, I know where that goes. That's not, that's not me talking. Yeah. That's a little part of me that just... That's not me. Yeah. So I have one um, final, final thing I want to ask. I'm going to put you on the spot. What do you think is one thing in our relationship or Sherp in a relationship that we currently are working on that you are currently working on in context to me? If there is anything. Yeah. I think it's more so allowing things to grow. You know, we're coming together. We're like, trying to create vision for our lives and a plan for our lives and, um, uh, you know, grow together and, mm-hmm. and create a life together. I have the propensity to run mm. and go at whatever cost. You? No. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's a matter of like, oh, wait, no, my relationship with you is most important. My heart connection with you is far superior and more important than any vision or any thing that needs to get done. If mm-hmm. we're okay, 
I can't remember who said that to me. Mike Foster. Mike Foster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was like, I've learned because he's very much the same way. Yeah. I've learned that if me and my wife are okay, everything else is okay. Yeah. And that's most important. So I think that's been a, a challenge for me, but also creating a space for you to, to move things forward at your pace but also for me to come alongside of you and maybe just like apply a little pressure so that we're constantly leaning into our comfort zone and leaning out of our comfort zones. Mm. Right. But then I sometimes can push a little too hard. Mm. Um, so I think that's like just a work, like a, a balance that we're still playing with a yo-yo. Yeah. That's yeah. good. So anyways, um, I hope this helps somebody. I, I have no idea if this even made sense. I feel like I was just rambling and speaking really fast. I have had two Negroni, so forgive me <laughs> if that is the case. I understood you. Oh, thanks, honey. But um, anyways, we hope and trust that this does bless one of someone out there that is listening. And if you got something from this, it would help us so, so much. Um, if you just forwarded, took a screenshot and maybe sent it to one other person mm-hmm. that you think would benefit from hearing this podcast, just take a screenshot and send it to that one person who you thought of as you were listening to this podcast. And honestly, if you, if you're a, a male out there and you're listening to this and if you deal with retroactive OCD jealousy or an unhealthy anxious attachment and you're trying to wrap your head around it or grow um, and to more of a secure attachment and understanding how to respond differently with the, the OCD jealousy, uh, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram, send me a DM, um, and we can start a conversation. I'm not trying to coach you. I'm not a coach. Um, I'm just I'm a resource here for you, and I can mirror back some things if needed. So Absolutely. As always, uh, just thank you for listening. We love you all, and we will talk to you soon. I've got the heart of a healer.